My mother was a woman of tremendous integrity. My mother was curious, sensitive, compassionate, honest, always there for us, unflappable, loyal, complicated. She is devoted, resilient, dazzling, giving, vivacious, extraordinary, kind. I mean, I, 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 he was, a, he was just a kind man. You know, nobody's perfect, and I'm sure he wasn't perfect. But you know, I, I was in that truck with him every moment I could spend with him. And he just made you feel better. I'm Katie Hafner, and this is Our Mothers Ourselves. Two years ago, to mark Father's Day, I sat in the closet I'm sitting in now, which you can see only in your mind's eye, and had an extraordinary conversation with Dr. Talmadge E. King, Jr., a world-renowned lung specialist who's dean of the medical school at the University of California, San Francisco. Dr. King and I talked about his father, Talmadge King Sr., who was born in 1922 in the segregated South. Talmadge Sr., always looking forward, seldom looking back, raised his kids by way of this metaphor. If your father builds a wooden house... You build a brick one. Talmadge Sr., who died in 2018, would have turned 100 this year, and it seems fitting to replay my conversation with his son today, Father's Day, June 19th, 2022. Dr. King, I want to thank you so much for uh, joining me today on Father's Day uh, to talk to me about your dad. Thank you. Appreciate having the opportunity. I have to disclose that I know you, and I've heard through the years that you were close to your dad. Yep. And he died, I understand. He was 95. Is that right? Yes, in 2018. And uh, he lived a very full life. So I'd like mm-hmm. to go I'd like to go through that life yep. with you. Uh, let's start with what you know about his, his childhood. Yep. So my dad uh, was born in South Carolina in a town called Sumter. It's in the center of the state, um, farming kind of community. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as a child, he moved with his mother, who had separated from his dad, um, to St. Simon Island, Georgia. Um, and it's one of the small islands off the coast of Georgia. At that time, there were very, not many inhabitants on the island. He, so he grew up on, on the island, and then there was no school for black kids there, so he ended up going to a church school that was established by the Episcopal Church, and he well, he did that in a town called Darien, which was about 17 miles away from where he actually lived. Um, and uh, after finishing his education, he then went into the army. Okay. So let's, uh, we're going to tease this apart a little bit. So he um, was born in Sumter. Yes. And his dad's name was Marcus. Yes. And his mom's name was Mamie. Mamie Watson. Yes. Mamie Watson. And what do you know about about his parents' parents and their parents? Well, maybe uh, Watson grew up in a small town in South Carolina called Pinewood, which is near Sumter. They were... Farmers, basically, sharecroppers, mm-hmm. but they also um, had a 
you know, a small business in the town. And what do you know about the Kings going back? Yeah, so my 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 grandfather was uh, his father was Cherokee, um, and I and it turns out we don't I don't know very much about my great grandfather, and my father also didn't know very much about him. He he only met him once or twice in his entire life. Mm. But he was very connected to his dad. So I knew him, my grandfather, Marcus King, really well. And I spent a lot of, a lot of time with him. In fact, we spent a lot of summers at my granddad's. He had land of his own. He grew his own food. He had animals. Uh, and he had a little store. Mm-hmm. But so, but Marcus and Mamie, are they the ones who split up early? Yes. Did he? Did your dad tell you stories about growing up on Saint Simon's Island? Uh, yeah. So my my dad, uh, it was it was a great place to grow up, right? It was a small, safe community. My my his mother Mamie was a domestic. All the time I knew her, she worked for the same family on Saint Simon. They're very relatively wealthy. I never got to know them. Uh, they she kept that pretty separate. Um, but what's interesting is my mother, my grandmother, Mamie, my dad's mother, um, she actually worked for the Talmages. You mean the Herman Talmages? Yeah. And that's how my dad got his name. So we never completely understood that story, but at that time she worked, she worked for that family, but it doesn't sound like that lasted very long as my dad was growing up. Um, there was some relationship there that was never spoken. <laughs> That's really interesting. So wait a minute, I'm trying to get the timing right. So Mamie would have, so Mamie was um, Talmadge Sr.'s mom, and she would have worked for the Herman Talmadge family before her son was born because she named him Talmadge. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, uh, there was some there was something about the family and that family name that ended up with my dad being named Talmadge, and it never was clear to me what, if anything, was was there. Um, but um, and it, so it had to be. So that had to be in the in the nineteen twenties. So that was well before Herman and Eugene were prominent. Right. I mean, Herm and you know Herman himself wasn't he a famous segregationist? They both were. They were awful. Yeah. One was governor and one was senator. A couple of bad actors. <laughs> but but Eugene somewhere at the at about the time because let me see, Herman may have died already, but Eugene was around in the sixties when all of this was going on. He was not a nice anyway. He was not a nice person. So I. I well, in Georgia. Um, at the time, what a mess. Yeah. There were lynchings. Yeah, so it's interesting. I, I never heard a word about that. And I went to the Montgomery um, Museum, and I and I went through and looked for all the, na- all the places I'd lived in the South. Actually, every place I'd lived to see where there, there were lynchings. And I was shocked because my dad would have been about 10 or 11 the last time there was a lynching in either McIntosh County or Glen County, the two counties that we lived in. Um, and so I, it was surprising to me because I never heard him talk at all about it. Actually, nobody in my family talked about 
that. So he would have been old enough to have experienced it and understand what had happened, but he never mentioned it. Mm-hmm. What do you think was his reason? Well, he didn't. My dad didn't didn't wallow much in the past. It's, he, he was a forward-thinking sort of person, um, and he didn't. Actually, I was so sad that I couldn't go back and ask him because I'm sure he would have had a story to tell. <laughs> but I never did I, did I have an opportunity to ask him. Yeah. And um, so he went to this school for um, black children because black children couldn't get educated in white schools. So he went to this school, the church school, an Episcopal church? Yes, St. Cyprian. In Darien. How did he get back and forth? My grandmother's brother lived in Darien. And was a member of that church, um, and that and wasn't and it, and he lived probably three blocks away from it. So he may have stayed with him. Mm-hmm. And um, what's your sense of the of the kind of education he got? I think it was, you know, but not very strong. I, I don't. I think that it was. They probably they had limited resources, and I I think that he, you know, he wasn't very well prepared. And then the, the war came out. And so that's how he ended up in the army. Mm-hmm. And he went into the army in what year? Must have been in the early 1940s. Because he got out, he got out two years before I was born. So, um, so he must have been in, in like 44 to 46. He was in the Philippines. Mostly, but he was in Australia and the Philippines. Mm-hmm. Uh, and do you know what he was doing? Well, he 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 was an infantryman mm-hmm. at the beginning, and then he and then he took up electronics and got trained and became an electronics repairman. So that was his trade um, that he got while he was in. So you know, when you say electronics now, we kind of know what you're talking about. But back then, what was electronics? That it was cathode ray tubes uh-huh. <laughs> and radio right so he did radio repair um and then he went you know then he then he started doing television repair and then you know transistors came along and you know it evolved over time mm-hmm. but he a very enterprising guy from what i can tell yeah he did uh, he did a number of things he was never not busy yeah um i would say he was always working and he he was fiercely independent. He did not want to work for anybody. He wanted to work for himself. So he was willing to try a number of different things to make sure we were all provided for. Mm-hmm. Let's dial back a little bit to, um, it sounds like he met your mom, the love of his life, back in some Sumter. Yeah. The stories I've heard actually since their death is that they they knew each other, but they weren't they weren't sort of a thing until he came back from the from the military, and then that's when they became closer, and then got married. Mm. Do you think Do you think he sought her out? And uh... the, it was always a joke about who sought who out who. But <laughs> but my cousin Elizabeth, who was in in between them age wise, um, so she it turns out she knew them both absolutely well that she she's my dad's first cousin but but she grew up in the same went to the same school so she knew Almeida and Talmadge um 
And so she tells a different story than either one of them told about how they got together. <laughs> yeah. So it's different versions depending on uh, who's telling the story. They were they overlap, <laughs> you know, but but they because um, if you hear her tell it, she was the one that introduced Almeida to count. Because uh-huh. Almeida had a crush on her, but you know, so who knows? Well, who wouldn't have a crush on him? The photo, the wet. I guess that's her wedding photo that uh, you sent me. Um, she has a looks like a carna- a white carnation in her hair. Yep. And he's got this wonderful hat on, and he's looking very almost mischievous. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, you want to know what he's thinking? Yeah, you definitely <laughs> want to know what he's thinking. That was right. in forty-seven, and there, and that would have been in Darien Sumter. No, in oh, in Sumter. I keep getting these places confused. So you're one of five kids? The oldest of five. You're the oldest. So you're Talmadge Jr. with the, this dubious name, Talmadge. And your memories of your dad are that he was always busy. He did his electronics repair. He sold fish. Yes. On the back of the truck. Yes. I helped him with that a lot. Oh, you did? Was it at a at a market? No. So he went door to door. So so we grew up on, you know, we grew up on the ocean and it, it, we grew up in a fishing town, actually. So Darien. the boat, yeah, the boats would come into the dock uh-huh. and they would come in on Monday, Tuesday. He would get the fish usually on Wednesday. We'd pack it up um, and he would drive about 50 miles away to the in, inland of Georgia. Mm-hmm. But he would sell it door to door to farmers and people uh, in, basically in rural areas who just didn't have access to it. So he'd go from one farm to the next, selling fish or bartering for his fish or whatever. What kinds of things would get bartered? Mostly food. So, you know, watermelons, some normal watermelons for a pound of fish and uh, vegetables and and then and then money, mostly cash, but, but people didn't have money. He would he would barter with someone and then sell what he bartered at the next place. Mm-hmm. It was a it was a fascinating thing to me. And you were how old when you were part of this? Oh, it uh, until I went to high. He stopped doing it when he became a police officer. Mm-hmm. So I was in high school, uh, or maybe he was, he was doing it after I left Darien. But throughout throughout, as far as I can remember, that was something he did. And people must have known he was coming. Yeah, so he, over years, they expected him on Thursday, and they expected him about a certain time. So he had the same route after he'd established it. Mm -hmm. So they knew Thursday at 10, he would probably be there. So people were waiting for him. And there were a couple of tiny towns where he would go door-to-door in the town, a a town called Blackshire, Georgia, places like that that were really tiny. And there there was no person that he met that wasn't, a friend of his, you know, he was just that kind of personality. So, so he, he made friends uh-huh. very easily. So as you were watching this when you were a little kid, it must have made an indelible impression on you. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I, I mean, and he, he, he would, he would talk to me a lot. We, I'm sitting in the truck with him and we talk about a lot, a lot of things. Um, and, um, and, and he would, talk about how he would handle certain situations and how he dealt with certain kinds of people. And he would figure, he would explain how he sized them up 
and they, you know, it, uh, it you know, he, he it, it, it would seem like he had known them for a long time and you'd have no idea that he'd never met them. I mean, it, it was amazing to me. And did he sell the fish to both the black and white communities? Yes. I would say mostly the white community because they, they're the ones that had the resources. So this was the fifth, 1950s in a largely segregated South. And um, your dad, he sounds like a person of incredibly positive spirit. Yeah, that's the way he was. And uh, and, a, and the gift of, of gab. I mean, he... Um, I mean, he could just start talking to you and you, and that's what I meant. You would think he would come back to the truck and I'd say, well, dad, how, you know, how do you know that guy? And he goes, I don't know him. I never met him before. And you have no idea from the conversation that he had never met this person before, that's amazing. but he just had a way of bringing it out of people and, and, um, joking with them. Um, and he, he was a, he was a good salesperson. Let me tell you a sales story. So this is a this is a, a seafood story. So we were we went to this one farmhouse. They didn't have any money, so the guy wanted fish. So he said, "I will I will trade my watermelons for your fish." And he had pink watermelon. You've seen the pink watermelon? There, there. Instead of the sort of oblong watermelon, you get this red. Uh-huh. These are round, and it's very sweet and juicy. It's a very different taste. So we, he loaded up, I don't know how many, but maybe five to ten of these watermelons, and we exchanged the fish. So we drove less than two miles to the next big farm. And my dad got out to sell, to try to sell them the fish. And the guy looked in the truck and said, oh, you have some pink watermelon. We don't, and he, here's what he said, he, we don't get those around here. And my dad said, these are really good. We got, you know, I got them really special and I thought I'd, I'd try to sell them to you. And the guy says, well, we never get these around here. So the guy bought all of the watermelons. We got back in the truck and I'm like, dad, what are you talking about? That we just got it from the last farm. He says, don't worry. These are the best watermelons he's ever had. And it, he could walk down the street and get them himself. But he, it was, it, it was one of the funniest things I've ever seen. He had a straight face. He's like, no, these, these are really special. I just got these for, <laughs> to bring. I mean, they, they, he got his money the next, that, in the next stop. That's so good. Like, so well, why did, when and why did he become a police officer? Wasn't his choice. Cause remember, I, I told you he didn't want to work for anybody. Mm-hmm. So the community drafted him to be the, to become a police officer. So, they came to him, the black community came to him and said, you're the, you know, basically you have to do this. And he absolutely did not want to do it, but he was drafted into it. And was it just because of the times and there was so much turmoil or was it, um, was there a precipitating incident that? It was the, it was the times that we were in. This is in the Mm sixties. It was when all the crises were going on and, and the desire to integrate everything, really, but the police department in particular. Um, and I would say the other thing was that the prominent white members of our community knew him pretty well. And mm-hmm. my, they, they had to pick someone everybody in the community knew and respected. Mm-hmm. So my dad was... I would say without question, sort of respected on both sides of the racial divide. And 
and he you know he made it a point to honor anything he said uh, and then because he was doing all this repair work for people people got to know him in that way i would say there were only a couple of the prominent members of the community who we avoided yeah. i mean my dad would not would not you know um work for them or go to their businesses but most of them he he knew and they respected him and he and he joined the city police at the beginning um and then eventually he spent most of his career on the sh- in the sheriff's department and do you know why he made the switch to the sheriff's department yeah so the the sheriff's department they paid a little better and they were much better people i'll be honest with you the my mom did not like the other city police he worked with in fact most of them she would not let in the house she would always go outside and talk to them at that car on the street cuz she just didn't like them and she didn't want dad working with them these were white guys yeah he's the only black guy so they're all all the rest were they they were pretty nasty uh and so then he joined joined the sheriff's department the sheriff so we lived not far from the sheriff's department so we knew them we knew that we knew the sheriff pretty well my dad knew him really well. and so so he he joined that department once the sheriff realized he could integrate to the department mhm do you know how he was treated um uh i think he was treated okay the the thing that my mom was so she, the thing that my mom was upset about <laughs> and i'll tell you the rest of the story the second was he he was almost always given the graveyard shift um uh, and so and that meant that he was often out in a car by himself in the middle of the night um and so he, she didn't like that at all and i think that's what let me one of the things that made him leave the the city police mm-hmm. is that they were unfair in their assignments of mm-hmm. time of you know of rotations uh and the sheriff department was was at least better people rotated different times mm-hmm. uh and this is af- and then after i left home and whatever so my brother my brother went to college and studied criminology came back and was a police officer in my hometown as well and became my dad's boss so in charge of the department working he was second in command in the sheriff's office my mother's first thing to my brother is okay now i'm going to tell you what his schedule is <laughs> so so he, so he so she gave he he have the schedule she wanted him to have I love that and so um and we lived in a very integrated community I mean this is a small town so there was there was actually pretty much no black section and no white section and, and where where I grew up there were whites on we were the only blacks on our block well then dad bought the block so that made it easier over time Wait, your dad bought the block yeah you know you, you just bought up all the things all around us right one house at a time when we talk about a small town like you know a small poor town so you're not in a place where things are turning over quickly and there's a lot of growth it's never grown mm-hmm. he wasn't in you know los angeles or some place where you could turn things over and and make a profit but he but that's what he did he buy someone's house and go in and refurbish it and and then sell it but it wasn't it wasn't like you hear about the real estate moguls <laughs> in big towns he basically his philosophy was 
if I own the land, that's one thing it's harder for them to take from me. Mm-hmm. For him, owning land was like a critical thing. And there, and there were a lot of forces against him. I mean, he wasn't able to really take advantage of the GI Bill the way he should have been, given he was a vet. Well, Blacks got, Blacks got locked out. I mean, technically, they were supposed to get benefits, but there was so much discrimination, right? And, and actually, that it, that started to change. And like, he had trouble like getting loans from the bank to, for his business and that sort of thing. He, he was always overcharged on interest. In fact, you know, I'm in charge of the estate now. So I've gone back and looked at some of the, some of the, you know, some of the contracts he had, uh, with the bank. And it was like awful how much they overcharged him. And what he did was he always tried to just pay it off, understanding that he was being ripped off. And so were you, you must not have been surprised when you went back and looked at the papers to see there were these outrageous interest rates he was being charged. Yeah. I I remember talking to my sister about the fact that, you know, I looked at one and he was like, the interest rate was like 11% or something, 10 to 11% at a time when it should have been like six. And I'm like, it's crazy. Um, But anyway, you you just, he, he was always just, making it work and then um but he but he kept working at it and he and he also realized that there were people who were not who were not there to help him they were they would do anything to keep him down mm. uh, and he there's several stories he told about that too what what well one, it, well, one well one one that really really affected him so i must have been Around, must have been less than 10 years old. I was a little kid then. He got a new truck. Up until that time, you know, his truck, all his trucks were sort of used or whatever. But he actually had enough money. He went and bought a, a new truck. And he went to the ice house to buy ice in preparation for one of these trips to sell seafood door to door. And the guy who ran the ice house looked at his truck and asked him, where did he get it from? And he said, that's my new truck. And he looked at him and he said, you know, I'm, I will do anything to keep you from being able to do that. You don't deserve that. Oh. And because he was so blatant that he basically, he would do anything in his power to keep him down. That was the last time we went to that ice house. We, we started driving 60 miles away to get ice because he would not go back to that ice house. And that, and that you know, that really, really affected him. Oh, my um, gosh. And were you and, there? No, I wasn't there. Um, that's horrific. Yeah. So his way of dealing with it was just to go 60 miles to a different ice house. Yeah. Yeah. So when when it came time for his kids, i.e. you and your four siblings, to go to school, what would you say his ambitions for you were? Um. <laughs> He had this funny way of saying it, but what he would say, what he said to me often in the truck as we were driving along, something along the lines of, if if your father built a wooden house, your responsibility is to build a brick house. And for the longest time, I didn't figure out what the heck he's talking about. You you didn't get it? I got it, but I, you know, it it took me a while to realize his thing was, his expectation was, you do better than I did. That's what, that's what, that's what I want you to do. Mm. And they, my mom nor dad, all they expected is for me to, to study and, and 
and my mother's thing was be nice. Mm-hmm. Um, and my dad basically, mm-hmm. his whole thing was don't be afraid to work. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, as I said, he, he really liked being in a position where you're not dependent on others so that you can make your own decision. I think that I don't know exactly how that ha- what happened in his life, but that really was a big issue for him. And so he so the whole expectation was that we would complete high school and go off to college. It was it was mm-hmm. it wasn't that they talked about it all the time. It was just there. That's what you're going to do. And did all of you do that? Yes. Yeah. Did he go to college? No, he just went to trade school. Yeah. And, and you know, he over time, he went to a whole bunch of other classes and stuff like that. Because mm-hmm. every time something new came, he had to go back and learn. Mm-hmm. It. I remember when transistors came, he, that was a particularly trying time. He sounds like he was a very smart guy. Yeah, I would, I would say he I would say he would say about himself was that he was he was street smart. He, he wasn't fooled very, very easily. Like he didn't. He was very kind to people. In fact, he would he would loan people money, which upset us more than upset him. And he was he was like he was like a banker in a way. I mean, people would want to borrow things from him, and he he would he he knew who to do it with, right? He didn't do it with everybody. Who, for example, somebody's about to lose something, he would figure out a way to get them the money to retain it. And I swear they wouldn't pay him back, mm-hmm. except he would always say, I'm not broke because these people owe me. There would be times you could see him in agony because the light bill mm-hmm. is due or he's got to buy the fish or whatever. Right? Like somebody's somebody's going to pay me. And I swear somebody would walk to the house and hand them what they owe him. Wow. I'm like, how in the world does this happen? But he just had the faith that it'll happen. And it um, did. And it seemed like it always did. I mean, I was it was just amazing. And when, so when you uh, you went to college and then medical school, what, how did he react to the success that you had? So he, I would say, I mean, he, he admired it a lot. The way he expressed it was really subtle. But in my view, I mean, because I got to know my dad so well, I knew when he was happy. He didn't have to say it. And I think that he, you know, uh, well, his, you know, basically his son, Junior, is the doctor. (laughs) Mm. He let the whole world know that. Nice. It sounds like he gave you the opportunity to have the opportunity, right? He never, I don't remember him ever telling me not to do something. He would listen and sort of question it. And try to figure out, have I thought through all the things? Mm-hmm. But he never said, no, you can't do that. He would try to get me to see, you know, the pros and cons. Mm-hmm. And then if you want to do it, then do it, but you better do it well. Like when I decided to leave Darien and go to Minnesota to college, mm-hmm. th- they were not happy about that. But it was like, do you think that's the right thing for you? Are you prepared for being so far away? He didn't try to stop it. He just wanted to make sure I understood what I was doing. Right. And did your dad ever talk about the legacy of enslavement in the country? Um, not 100%. You know, there were a couple of plantations. There's a plantation near where we grew up, and he knew about what was going on over there, but he never, he never would 
go there. It's interesting. Like they would ask him to come work on something. He would never go there. You mean to do some, to do work or whatever. Um, in fact, I, I was, I was thinking that I was, I was thinking, you know, that I don't think we ever went on that plantation. Um, I've forgotten in Hofel, I think it's called. But because they did police work, I'm sure he had to go over there, possibly in, in, in that, when he did that. But, um, it wasn't, wasn't sort of a functioning thing as far as I know from, from, from most of my adult life anyway. It's still there, but, uh, but I, I've never been, I, I, I don't think I've ever been there. I have no idea what it is. And it's literally five miles from my house. Mm-hmm. But it's not a place where he would ever nope. set foot. Wow. So he really, I mean, he he really was a man of principle. Yeah, I mean, so so like we, when we, he would do television repair. So back then, remember, the televisions were gigantic with the picture tube and the whole thing. <laughs> I mean, it's funny to see them now. And you, he would go in and, and most of the time when the, when it wasn't working, it was a tube that blew out mm-hmm. so you could go in and figure out which tube blew out put it in and the television will work so he did a lot of repairs in the house and an example of how he worked was if he pulled up to the house and the and, and is is a white family and they often they would tell him go around to the back and come in he would go get in his car and leave he wouldn't say anything he wouldn't argue with them just leave um, because he didn't like he didn't he didn't like being told to to do that there was no nobody else was being asked to do that mm-hmm. um, and and he but he didn't it wasn't it wasn't like an open confrontation he would just go away <laughs> and I saw him do that multiple times just get back in the truck and we drive on away I you know I think he was hurt by it but it was like, well, no, if that's the way you feel about me, then I don't need your business. What do you think he'd say about now what's happening, especially with the police? I'm sure you've thought a lot about it. Um, I don't I don't know. I mean, I, you know, given that my brother, my, my one brother died in, in 2018, the one that became his boss, Ronnie. The other brother, Thonell, is actually... Uh, head of the police department in Brunswick and the state troopers in Brunswick where Ahmad Aubrey, all that's going on. Mm-hmm. I think if he were here now, he would, basically what I think he would be saying is that the police department reform needs to be done mm-hmm. and you got to do it from the inside. In fact, I would say what happened in Derry in itself, if just looking at that history, when he joined the force, there were people mm-hmm. on it who did really bad things. And they worked to change that. They worked to, to weed out the guys who stopped people for no reason, right. who were who were physical with people that they stopped. Um, and you know, and my 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 uh, my my brother Ronnie worked. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, they they did they they actually did uh, sensitivity training or whatever we call it years and years ago to try to get mm-hmm. people beyond that. I think that, you know, he would, what he would say is we have to have rules that get rid of the, the people who do wrong. It, you know, it's, it's not just, it's not, it's not bad apples. This is a bad system. 
and you got to fix the system. And then the bad apples will be pushed out, you know. And I, you know, I think I already mentioned that my mom, there were some people, my mom, <laughs> my mom said they're crazy and they're racist, and she wouldn't, would, you, could, you know, you knew who they were. So the one thing I ask people is if you were to describe your dad in, in one word, one adjective, what would that word be? Kind. I mean, I, 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 he was, a, he was just a kind man. Uh, and, uh, and, and he would give the shirt off his back to people. And that, that was part of what, what I was saying. We, we would be upset with him about that, but he, it's like he didn't worry about it. You know, I guess what I liked about my dad is that I can honestly say I thought he was just a good person. You know, nobody's perfect, and I'm sure he wasn't perfect. But, but you know, I, I was in that truck with him every moment I could spend with him. And he just made you feel better. You know, I wish I had that quality of I me. Mean, both of my brothers have it. They, the ability to just, my, my dad walks up to someone and just starts talking. And before you know it, they tell him everything. Like what? You know, it's like, what, what, what is it about you that makes people so immediately comfortable? And I think it's, it was his genuine interest. He actually wants to know about you and would remember it. That's the other thing. I can't remember it. I talked to people, and, you know, I remember things about my patients, but he would actually come back and see you, you know, at a time period later and recount the whole story. So that means he was actually paying attention to you. It was an interesting quality um, that he had. Um, and I would say he, he, he just, he, he was always just making it work. And he always believed that, things could be better and that he could do better. And I think that's what he, you know, tried to instill in us. I mean, I think I took it hook, line and sinker. You know, he, he just, he, he just wanted to keep things moving forward. He would always talk about how crazy segregation was because it separate was equal, was never equal. And it was, it was very costly. And he tried to convince people that, this is just silly. It's, 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 it's not about race. It's about poverty and opportunity. Um, and he basically tried to instill in us, you know, this idea that, you know, you, you have to make your own opportunity. I mean, that, that's what he was always doing. You must miss him. Yep, a lot, yeah, every I'm day. I'm so sorry you lost him. Yeah, well, thank you. You know, he, he, was, he was proud of the progress that he and the family made, so. Well, Talmadge King Jr., I'd like to thank you so much for talking to me about Talmadge King Sr. It's been really great. No, thank you very much, and thank you for allowing me to share memories of what I think was a, a great American. And that's it this week for Our Mothers Ourselves. Our theme song is composed and performed by Andrea Perry. Paula Manchin is our artist-in-residence. Our Mothers Ourselves is a production of Odredeck Studios in San Francisco. I'm Katie Hafner. Stay safe, everyone. <laughs>